So we're still in the opening pages of the Gospel of Mark. We're just only in chapter 2. Only a few things have happened uh, in Mark's Gospel so far. Like we're still in the beginning of Jesus' Galilean rural ministry uh, that's been going on. And Jesus is preaching the word. He's preaching the good news. That's, that's shorthand for he's preaching still the same word that he was preached before, which is the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it seems that everywhere Jesus steps, heaven itself is like spilling out all over the place. It's like you bump into Jesus and like parts of heaven are just gushing everywhere. You know, there's, what he's doing is he's healing all the illnesses that he comes across. And nothing is too difficult for him. Some passages that we haven't um, gone through uh, in our preaching yet or because we've skipped over to, to chapter two, but we've, we've, uh, if you look at chapter one, we would see that Jesus is healing Peter's mother-in-law from a, an illness that she has. Uh, there's some lepers who are being healed. So no illness is too hard for Jesus. But also demons are being cast out. Evil spirits that have tortured individuals and terrorized communities are being vanquished by Jesus, never to be heard from again. So to say that Jesus is becoming famous would be a massive understatement. His ministry is doing things that nobody has ever seen at all, ever before. In fact, we hear that stated again at the end of today's story too. What in the world is going on here? I know, it's amazing, right? <laughs> so imagine that if we were to walk out these doors right now and go out and step outside and there's a man out there who all he has to do is touch people and their illnesses are being healed. Like imagine if that were to happen here today in 2021, just right outside these doors. Like what would that intersection be transformed into? It'd be absolutely crazy. It'd be insane out there. There'd be a huge mob out there. And what would you do if you were to step outside and see that happening? Would you just kind of glance over and be like, mm, yeah, that's cool, I guess. And like you'd go hop in your car and go to Costco and, you know, enjoy the samples that they have there, like, because it's Sunday and it's a good way. Like, no, you wouldn't do any of that. You would, you would stop everything that you could to go and watch and see what happens. And especially if you yourself have some kind of chronic illness or, or something that's bugging you or, or just something emotionally that's been bothering you, like, you would want to go and see the healer. I have somebody in my life who I love very, very dearly, dearly who struggles with chronic back pain. If I knew that there was a healer outside, I would go and rip her away from anything that she's doing and bring her to this man, and we would not leave that intersection until he was able to heal her. And I'm sure many of you can think of, of you know, maybe eye diseases or back pain or intestinal stuff or skin diseases or whatnot. Even the diseases that, that I know of that, that we carry in, in this room, that are represented in this room, are substantial. And we would be thrilled to experience a healer like that. And the crazy thing is that this has actually happened. Not this year, not last year, not 10 years ago or, or even 100 years ago, but this happened 2,000 years ago. On the other side of the planet, people woke up one day and realized that there was a healer in the village. And the whole countryside, the whole region exploded and everybody came to go and get near to Jesus and to touch him and to see him, to hear his teaching, to hear his authority, to hear his power. Great crowds were growing. Well, today we see it happening again in this story. 
only things are being taken to a whole new level. Jesus does something in this story that's unique. He hasn't done it yet up until this point in his ministry. It hasn't happened yet. But here, yes, we still see teaching. We still see healing. But here, there's something that's, that's, more, that's deeper, that's more profound, that's more mysterious, and that is, in fact, much more powerful that happens today in this story. So let's take a closer look and see what it is. So as we've established, it feels like the whole entire world has come to this house, most likely Peter's house, just to experience and hear Jesus. Jesus doesn't get much rest, does he? And there's people who are probably there and they're, they're listening to him preach, but also they're probably whispering to one another, probably quoting words of Isaiah the prophet when he says, the lame man shall leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Look, we're seeing this happen right here. But then this, this faith-filled band of brothers, these, these friends, they, they come and they bring one of their buddies. They bring one of their buddies to the house. They hear that Jesus is in town and they want to get him close. And we don't know much about their history, but it's, I think it's a pretty sure bet that these men just love one another. Like this is a, a beautiful example of just powerful friendship. But they can't get in. They can't get in. The crowd is too thick. And then the other problem is that Jesus is pretty elusive. Like it's, it's been reported that, that Jesus likes to hop from village to village quite a bit. But also he's, he is a man. He does get tired. He likes to retreat and, and pray and kind of recharge himself. And so maybe these friends are a little bit panicked because they might not see Jesus after this minute. So what do they do? Well, they, they go around the side of the house. Most homes of those days had like a stairway that you could sort of climb and get up on the roof if you wanted. It wasn't really that hard to get up to the roof. But then they do something that probably would have ticked off the owner of the house, which is to, to drill a little uh, hole uh, in the roof. And then they slowly lower their buddy on his mat down, just plop right in the middle of where the teacher is. Slowly down, the man descends and everybody's looking at the man. And the man is probably looking up at Jesus. Jesus probably looks up through the hole in the wall. <laughs> and then Jesus looks down at the man again. I mean, it's just a comical, beautiful situation. And what does Jesus say? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't heal him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And that is a scandalous, shocking thing that we hear from the word of the Savior. He says, your sins are forgiven. You see, everyone expected a healing at this moment, a physical, actual healing, because that's what Jesus has been doing. That's what the crowds are here for. So for him to say, your sins are forgiven, is actually pretty scandalous. This broken man comes for a new body, but instead he receives a new heart. And people hear Jesus talking about sins being forgiven, and they're scandalized by this. So, of course, I'm talking about the scribes. And the scribes, we've talked about them before. They say things like, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he talking like this? He's blaspheming right now. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, as we've said before, the scribes are the guardians of the law. As you recall from last week, these are, these are the resident experts of the law. They're the ones to make sure that everyone's kind of, um, you know, staying in line and all that sort of stuff. They love to clarify. They love to correct. The, the favorite word of the scribe is, um, uh, actually, 
actually. <laughs> I'm a firstborn, so that's also like my favorite word. I love saying actually to those around me. Would have been a great scribe. I would have had so much fun correcting. And No, I'm kidding. I'm glad some people would enjoy that too. Uh, now, the scribes, the question is, are they wrong? Are they actually wrong in what they say? Is it true that only God can forgive sins? So throughout the Old Testament, we do see mighty prophets coming through town and doing mighty things for God's people. We see prophets actually healing people. We see prophets actually casting out demons. Now, certainly not to the degree uh, in which Jesus did it, but we do see prophets doing these things. But we never hear a prophet of God forgive people their sins. That is not something that even a prophet can do. You see, a sin ultimately is a crime against God himself. Yes, there are real world consequences for sins, but it is ultimately a crime against God himself. Therefore, receiving forgiveness of sin, the declaration that your sin has been absolved, can only come from God himself. To interject yourself in that process, to actually say that someone, to, to tell them that they have been forgiven of their sins, is to rob a responsibility of God, to rob glory from God himself. That's why the scribes here say, this is blasphemy. This man here, he is acting on behalf of God himself. No one gave him the authority to do that. And according to the Levitical law, the punishment for doing this would be stoning by, or would be death by stoning. So actually, the scribes are right here. Only God can forgive sin. The problem, though, with the scribes is that they don't have kingdom eyes right now. Because actually, Yahweh himself is standing in the room. It's not just any prophet who is forgiving sins. It is God himself clothed in human flesh, standing there in Peter's house with crumbs falling on his head, declaring to this paralytic, to this broken man, your soul is restored. Your sins are forgiven. Rise, pick up your bed, walk, go home again. Enjoy the, the fun and fellowship and the family of your own home. So what can we glean from this? What can we hear from this story? Well, there's a couple of things that I'd like to point out. First of all, look at the power of faith in this story. It should be just electrifying and exciting for us. Now, to be clear, faith is not something that you and I can muster up. Uh, even these friends, the faith that they're exhibiting here, these four guys, it's not something that they themselves mustered up. Faith is a gift from God. And while the Holy Spirit isn't explicitly mentioned here in this story, this is a story, this is a moment which is just saturated in the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. The faith, and the reason why I want to point that out is because the faith that we see honored and exemplified and celebrated by Jesus, that is the faith that we see in these men in this moment, it's not unique to them. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have access to that faith as well. I want us to see that this morning. This faith is available to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love what one scholar says about this story as he's describing faith. He says, the faith that we see in this, in this story is holy impatience. Holy impatience. Like they have this, this hunger for God's kingdom that they're just impatient for it. 
They're passionate for it. They're obsessively determined that their lame friend must be made to walk. And so it's faith that drives them to pick, pick up their friend. It's faith that brings them to the house. It's faith that brings them up the roof and, and digs the hole and lowers their friend. It's faith that's driving all of this. And it's holy impatience. I wonder where you and I can be exercising holy impatience in our prayer lives, in our walk with the Lord. But also this faith is holy, it's holy untamable. I think that's a word, untamable, holy untamable. Yeah, all right, my wife kind of shrugs, so we'll say, we'll roll with it. So look closely at this passage. Do you see what, what Jesus says there? Or what the, what the passage says? When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, so when he sees their faith, he turns to the man and says, sons, your sins are forgiven. So whose faith is it that Jesus sees here? Was it the man's faith? Did the man make a profession of faith? Did he pray a prayer that he was told to pray? Did he, did he even open his mouth once and ask for healing? Is there anything that this man actually does? No, not until Jesus tells him to rise. Up until that point, we don't even know if the man is capable of speaking. There's nothing that he does. No, it is entirely the faith of the friends that Jesus celebrates and points to. Like what a validation of love. What a validation of the power of true godly friendship. And this, keep in mind, this is the first pronunciation of forgiveness in Jesus's ministry as recorded in the gospel of Mark. And this is the result of an extreme act of friendship. Now for for. Protestant Americans, this actually kind of pushes up against us a little bit because we love talking about individual faith and, and, and individual repentance and, and that stuff is all good and true and we need to be preaching those messages. But here we see that someone is saved, someone is healed because of the vicarious faith of somebody else. This is one of the reasons why a lot of sacramental traditions have no problem with infant baptism. Because the parents, it's the faith of the parents in which the child is partaking in, in that moment. There's vicarious faith that's happening here. And so a lot of times people, when they're talking about infant baptism, will point to this passage as an example of vicarious faith. So again, this grates against our American individualism, doesn't it? And, you know, here, I think especially one of the things, I didn't intend on saying this, but one of the things that we do experience, I think, in the American church is we... We sometimes, um, we, we lift up the role, or the place of marriage as sort of the, the pinnacle of, of experiencing uh, God's love and blessing in this earthly life. But what I love about this story is we see blessing, forgiveness, love, sacrifice in this circle of friends. And so for those of you right now who, who you know, maybe you're, you've, you've got awesome roommates or you're just, your life group is just clicking and you guys are amazing and you pray for one another. Um, some of you feel called to a life um, of celibacy. And I would look at this passage as like a huge encouragement to you. Know that, that Jesus' forgiveness is first ushered in through this extreme act of friendship, through this circle of friends. So I think we should all be immensely encouraged by that. May this story stir us into greater hunger for friendship and for faith. 
May we be mystified by what's possible with faith. So another thing that I want us to look, about, look at. I wonder why did Jesus use this moment, this, this particular need to express forgiveness of sins to somebody? It could have been earlier. Like, why this moment? Why didn't Jesus, when he healed um, Peter's mother-in-law a few paragraphs earlier, why didn't Jesus also lean over to her and say, sister, your sins are forgiven? Or when the leper comes up to Jesus, why didn't he say in that moment, you're healed and also your sins are forgiven? Why is it when this paralytic descends from the hole in the roof that Jesus declares forgiveness? You know what I think? I think that when Jesus sees that hole being ripped through the ceiling in the roof, I think when he sees the extreme desperation and love of those friends, well, I wonder if Jesus was emboldened and reminded of his own ministry, of what he himself has did, or did and is about to do. You see, it's Jesus who left all the glory and the majesty and the beauty of heaven. It's Jesus who ripped open a hole in the heavenlies and came and covered himself in the misery and the brokenness of humanity. And he descended down to be among us. And in comparison to that heavenly glory that he experienced, Jesus is relatively paralyzed You know, he's son of God clothed in in human flesh. He's relatively paralyzed. And so when he sees this, this motionless man descending down, I wonder if Jesus thought that these people get it. They get it. They understand it. Here in this moment, we see pain and sacrifice. We see love and faith. We see hunger for wholeness here in this moment. And so Jesus, thinking about what he's about to do, says, son, your sins are forgiven. In those powerful words, we hear echoes from a future day when Jesus himself will descend even further into suffering and pain and misery, when he will allow himself to be submitted to the pain and misery of the cross, where the son of man will hang motionless And cry out for all of humanity, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But that will not be the end. Because when we see the paralyzed man, when we see him healed, that healing points to the new life that Jesus himself will have in the resurrection. That he will share with every single one of us. You see, the miracle of today's story isn't just that Jesus heals a paralytic. The miracle is that sins are forgiven. And by the gift of faith, that that impatient, untamable, that hungry faith, Jesus calls all of us to rise, to pick up that burden that is so closely defined you, to pick it up as if it's nothing, and then to go and enter God's home is what he calls us to. So friends, how about you this morning? What is it that is haunting your soul? What burdens do you carry? What is it that has been defining who you are that's, that's paralyzed you in this world? 
What's the guilt that just keeps you up at night? What's the, the tape that you play over in your head over and over again that, that paralyzes you from experiencing the wholeness of God? What sin is it that plagues you? You know, what I love about our, our Anglican liturgy is every week we are given a moment to confess our sins before Almighty God. And I remember my, the first time that I had experienced that as a college student. I, I didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition. And so I remember coming and, and sitting down in church. And all of a sudden, everyone is confessing their sins. And it just, it just pierced me. I was like, Who's, who talks about sins? And this is church. I thought we we're supposed to talk about happy stuff all the time. Like, this is awkward and strange. And, and the priest is encouraging me to be silent and, you know, examine my heart and think about, you know, bad things that I did. You're like, ooh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> But a mentor, actually that, that same priest, he would always remind us that church is not a museum of saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. And I don't know what burdens all of you carry. I know, I know some of yours, but I don't know all of them. I don't know what paralyzes your soul. But I do know that for the, he, for the only healing that actually brings you true and abundant and full life is the forgiveness that Jesus Christ secured on the cross. That's it. That's it. Our world out there, they'll try to tell you that more education can heal you or even better med medical care or uh, further counseling. And, and all of those things are good and they have their proper place. And, and a lot of you are in those industries and that's awesome. And you can partake in, in the restoration of God's kingdom on this earth through those things and that's awesome. But to receive the true peace in your heart, true wholeness, assurance that you will one day be with him for all of eternity, that is only through the forgiveness of sins that is guaranteed through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So may we cling to that. May we cling to his cross, that we might be like that, that paralytic who was able to walk home that day with not just the, the wholeness of body, as great as that is, but with the assurance that God himself had touched him that day and that his sins have been forgiven. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we are a people who are plagued with um, ailments of various kinds, bodily uh, ailments, mental ailments, spiritual ailments. And Jesus, you are the only answer. You are it. Your cross contains all that we need. So Lord, especially as our, our church calendar starts to pivot, as we, as we start to change from epiphany and, and next week consider your, the beauty of your transfiguration and then descend into Lent and start walking towards the cross, Lord, may we just be mystified by you. May we be blown away by, by your power and your beauty and the love that you showed for us. That while we were broken, you descended down into the chaos of our world and you speak words of forgiveness and hope. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.